0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, how are we doing this week, man? I'm doing
1: well. Sun's out. That's Sun's nice out. To yeah. It's a good day. Well, sun's now, out. Let's now, talk a little baseball then, right? I would love to. You know what? Uh, why don't why don't we talk a little baseball with Greg Dobbs? Greg, you on the line. Yeah, I'm here, fellas. What's going on? Hey, welcome. Uh,
0: Anytime that we can have a baseball player on, it makes Jeff happy. Uh, Baseball is his sport. Uh, It's his happy place. He's traveled the country, seeing games with his son, more minor league games than uh, I can count. He can probably tell you. I know he has bobbleheads from half of them. How many is it,
1: Jeff? bobbleheads from minor league games probably over 100 yeah yeah so greg i was
0: fascinated when i i read your start of your career jeff thought he had traveled everywhere Uh, he's gone out to vancouver apparently didn't go far enough you started with the anchorage glacier pilots how did that happen and what was that like Uh,
2: wow you guys are you guys are really going way back into the vault aren't you Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it it was so cool (laughs) to me
2: that you were out
1: there playing he wanted to know if I actually <laughs> went to a game there. I was like, I had no idea there was a team in Anchorage. <laughs> uh,
2: well, the, the way it's said, that's a – so, yeah, so the, the Alaska League, right? It, um, it's college summer ball, really. So this was, this was back before uh, – right when I was in the uh, transition of going from uh, Long Beach State to the University of Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, the two – the top two leagues for, for college players are either one, the Cape Cod. Or uh, you go up to Alaska, uh, up into the great unknown, in the tundra. And uh, you go and play up there. And it, it was, uh, let's just say it was an experience.
1: So so what do you do for fun when you're, like, the Cape Cod League, we know what you do. You go to Cape Cod, you hang out at the beach, you play ball. In Anchorage, what does a kid from California do?
2: Uh, you try to figure out why the sun never goes down and it's always daylight (laughs) one (laughs) because it's like 23 hours of straight daylight up there. So that one, that just, that just throws you off completely.
0: Uh, Lots of time to play ball. Second,
2: lots of time to play ball. Lots of time to think about ball. Um, Second, you, you, you know, not having been to Alaska before you just, you, you try to figure out what, what, what do people do up here? Like how, how do they, how do they lead their lives when they've got, you know, in the summertime, 23 hours of sunlight. And then in the wintertime, maybe one or two hours of sunlight. Right. And and everybody thinks of Alaska as just being this frozen tundra, just covered by nothing but, you know, sheets of, of snow. Um, it's at, you know, in the summertime, it's, you know, it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's like Jersey or anything or, or, uh, you know, Philadelphia suburbs, but it's, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's just nothing but 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 like forest all around you. And so, you know, to to kill the time, we're up there in a in a host family's house. There was I think six or seven of us guys from USD from Stanford, myself and another teammate of mine, uh, best friend of mine from from Oklahoma. Um, it, you know, you you just you, you try to pass the time as as best you can as as college kids.
0: In in addition to this show, Jeff and I for a few years have done a minor league show for the Phillies farm team. And so we've traveled around watching the teams. One of our favorite questions to always ask the young guys is, you know, the bus trips are notorious. What are they like? I can only imagine what are the bus trips like in Alaska baseball?
2: Oh, They're were, they were, they were terrible. <laughs> you're going from, you're going from like Anchorage to Kenai. Um, it, you, you know, it, the the bus that we had, we still literally to this day still don't know how it ran or how it was even functional, or if it passed safety or inspection. Um, you know, it's straight out of like bull Durham, right. Or, or any of those older, older baseball movies where it's just like, it's, you just, you look back on, on that time. And I do, and, and through the minor leagues as well, but up in Alaska, it was, I mean, the minor leagues were like the big leagues when you compare it to, to playing in Alaska. Um, you just, you look back on it and you're like, how, how did that happen? Like, how did we make that happen? How does it work? <laughs> I mean, and, 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 it, and how does it continue to thrive? Like, it's just, it's, it's incredible. I, 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 I'm struggling for words to describe it because there literally are no words to describe it. You just got to go there and see it for yourself. But I tell you what, like the fans and everything, I mean, they're, they're, they're rabid I and mean, rightfully so. I mean, imagine being cooped up for you know four and a half, six, seven months with no sun and snow everywhere, and then all of a sudden, right? It's like the the, the switch gets flipped, and everybody gets to go out and watch some some baseball. Some college guys go go throw it around a little bit. I mean,
1: it's it's incredible. What's the latest? You played a baseball game there. If you got twenty three hours of sunlight. Do they start the games at seven o'clock like everywhere else, or do they say, hey, you know what? Let's start a game at ten.
2: Yeah, no, they. It's good good point. Um, no, they start they start at seven. Like most start at five. Anywhere from five p.m. to seven p.m. So it feels like a normal schedule because, you know, people are still up there working and they got their work days and and, and going. Right. So so very similar to to what we you know, what it it's like here, you know, what we're used to with minor league baseball and and, and major league baseball. But yeah, it's 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 a a trip. It's just you got to experience it
0: so you go from riding on a bulldorham type situation bus to making your way to the major leagues you you get to the Mariners and you homer in your first major league at bat well, what was that like for you
2: <laughs> you know what um, I was <laughs> I was on uh, Philly's one of Philly's websites for sports and um, I saw an interview that uh, that chase did not too long ago talking about you know, the first time back in a Dodgers uniform in the you know CVP in front of the in front of the, uh, the the home fans, right? And how he was so nervous and his knees were shaking. Uh, uh, that was me, like times a hundred in my first big league at bat. It, it's 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 indescribable. Um, you know, you go through all the all the hard work and and coming up through the minor leagues and you know braving the great tundra in Alaska, you know, as a as a college player. And then, and then you get, and then you get the call and you come up and it's actually quite a a funny story. So we're, we're playing, uh, we're playing the Indians. We're in safe co. I've been up for a couple days, haven't sniffed any game, any, any, any game time, any playing time, not even a pinch hit at bat. So I'm, I'm literally now just my nerves are just on end, right? I'm wondering when, when am I going to get that call and when's it going to be? And, uh, we're playing Cleveland. We're in safe co and we're losing like nine to five, nine to four uh meaningless game we're we're nowhere near the 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 top of the division or, or making a run for for a walk or a playoff or anything and and Renee Lashman our uh, our bench coach comes down we're we're it's eighth inning and he comes over and he's like hey Daver, go get ready to pinch hit and there's this deep old husky voice and I'm like oh oh damn so now <laughs> so now my heart is racing um I've literally gone from a resting heartbeat to probably like my max heartbeat of 185. And now I go down, I start getting, I start getting loose. Inning ends, um, uh, or the, the, the top, top of the inning ends, bottom of the inning comes up and, uh, in the ninth and I'm hitting second. I come up on deck. I'm trying to get loose. I'm nervous. I'm t- telling myself to stay, stay calm, breathe, don't pass out. Uh, <laughs> And then I get up there and, and Bob Wickman, if you guys remember Bob Wickman, the old closer for, for the Cleveland Indians back in the day, I mean, just big, big chested, huge, huge chaw in his mouth, you know, handlebar mustache. I mean, just, I mean, just angry, mean (laughs) angry and just throwing nothing but cutters. I mean, just like he hates the world and everything about it. And he will throw a baseball through you if he can. And so I, I walk up and, uh, I'm digging in, I'm digging in, I'm digging in, and they announce my name. And all of a sudden, um, Victor Martinez is the catcher at the time. And Victor Martinez is just kind of down there on his knee, and he's got his mask up on the top of his top of his head, and he's looking at me. And I could feel him looking at me, but I'm like, uh, maybe he isn't. Maybe he's looking at Wickman, or he's looking in the dugout for you know trying to figure out, hey, who's this Dobbs kid? What the? How do we pitch this guy? So I, I finally make eye contact with him as I'm digging my toe hole, and he he's looking at me with his head sideways. He goes, Hey, puppy this your first thing to get back, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, Vic. Actually, it is. Yeah, it is. hey man, I, hey Poppy, I wish you nothing but the best. Congratulations, I, I, you well deserved, well deserved, Poppy. Congratulations, man. And I was like, I was like, wow, big leagues. Are big. People are really nice here. I mean, playing in these huge stadiums, making you know, making millions of dollars. I mean, yeah, what do they got to be upset about, right? And so, so we go through the at bat. I I hit the homer. I come back in, I'm, I'm literally just adrenaline firing through my veins and I come and I sit down in the dugout and everybody's just going nuts. And Eddie Guardado, you know, it's like, Hey, Dobber, get back up there. They want a curtain call. And so I, I I do some sort of the half-ass curtain call, right? Like it was totally awkward. I've never done a curtain call in my life, right? So it was literally, (laughs) the fans probably didn't even see me jump out and jump back in the, in the dugout. And then I'm sitting there and Brett Boone was on our team. And Brett <laughs> Booney is, I mean, one of my all time favorites, just an absolute, absolute beauty. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm taking off my, my batting gloves and and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm shaking. I'm so nervous and I can't believe what just happened. And all of a sudden, everybody's kind of quiet in the dugout. And I look over to my right and Booney's just sitting there, kind of leaned back on the bench with his legs crossed and his arms crossed. And he looks at me, he says, well, you know what that means, Dobber? And I go, no, no, what Booney? He goes, it's all downhill from here.
0: Oh, you there for a sec, Craig?
2: Did you get that? Oh, so where'd I lose you?
0: Uh, he sat next down to you on the bench.
2: Yeah, so so I sat I sat I sat next to Booney on the bench, and and Booney looks at me and he goes, "Well, you know what that means, Dobber," and I'm like, "No, Booney, what?" He goes, "It's all downhill from here, son." <laughs> <laughs> and i was like really like that i because he hadn't given me a high five or anything yet he just totally just i mean just rained on my entire parade for like two seconds and then everybody just lost erupted in the in the dugout and then he came up and he finally gave me a, a handshake and a hug it was uh it was, it's something you'll never forget it's it's yeah it was it was pretty incredible
1: Wherever you so are, where so where's, where's breaking the
2: breaking where, up a little
1: bit, by Greg, the way. where's that ball? Did your teammates save that ball for
2: you? Uh yeah they so funny story yeah it, it was it's a great story too at the end of it um you know the the ball goes into the stands and in in, uh, in right field below the hit it here cafe and uh, after the game um one of the security guys for outside the clubhouse um back there under the tunnel he comes in and and he and he finds me and he says hey uh. Hey uh, Greg, we got the the fans out there, the fan the family that caught your ball. They want to give it to you. Um, they don't want to keep it. They're 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 bringing it in so you can have it. And uh, so I said, well, well let me, I mean, I got to give them something back. I mean, that's extremely generous. And so I signed them a bat and went out and did the exchange and took some pictures with them. And uh, so yes, yeah, so I've got the ball and I've got the lineup card uh, and my my jersey and everything. It's uh, you know, listen, growing up a uh, a kid here in Southern California, right? Um, I never, in my wildest dreams, would I have thought that you know, one, I'd I'd get to the big leagues, and in in two, I'd you know, I'd start my big league career off in that way, and then and then also three of having played as long as I did in the big leagues. There's just there's no way there's no way I could have I could have imagined that in my wildest dreams.
1: Well, look, as much as we'd like to say you're most famous around here for playing for the Anchorage you get Glacier Pilots or your first home run. <laughs> You're 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 most known and you're most beloved here for being part of that 2008 World Series team and and that whole run. Uh, you came here in 2007. What was it like uh, for you to come here in the offseason of 2007? And what was the first thing you noticed about that team when you got into the clubhouse and met your teammates?
2: Um, it, it was it was a uh, it was a rebirth and sort of a rebeginning for for me and my career. Um, you know, Seattle had. Had taken a flyer on me out of the University of Oklahoma, uh, signing as a senior. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, worked my way up through the minor league, made my major league debut there in September 2004, but then 2005 and 6, And listen, I was, uh, you know, I was up and down, up and down. You know, they're playing that options game with me. And, and, and you know, listen, rightfully so. And you look at that, those rosters back then, we had Adrian Beltre at third. We had Richie Sexton at first. We had Ichiro in right, and we had Raul Abanez in left, right? And so where, where, am I, where do I fit in, nope, really? Right? Nobody's so, ever heard of those guys or anything like that. So. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> total no names. Total no names. Uh, so, so here I am, and, and lo and behold, who, you know, you, you look back at your – I look back at my career, one, very fortunate. Um, I mean, I, I worked my tail off. Um, but, but also very fortunate that I had someone that believed in me and that one person was Pat Gillick and Pat Gillick was the GM at the time when they drafted me in Seattle. He then, you know, goes into semi-retirement and then, you know, Philly, um, uh, ownership there, uh, Montgomery, Giles, everybody else, they talk him out of retirement, bring him over after Ed Wade leaves. Um, and he brings, and then Pat brings me to Philly that winter, 2006, uh, 2007 winter. And so, listen. If it, if if it hadn't been for for Pat Gillick knowing me, having seen me, you know, rise through their minor league system, um, I, I I I never I never have the ability and the and the, the great fortune to to have put on the Phillies uniform and, and and win a World Series in 2008 and go back in 2009. But I remember clearly. I remember why <laughs> I, I hope Jimmy. I hope Jimmy Rollins isn't, I hope j Roll isn't listening right now. I, I I literally remember walking into the spring training clubhouse there in uh in Clearwater, and I my my locker was next to Jay Roll's, two two lockers down o- over from his, and I remember seeing him for the first time and saying, oh wow that that must be one of the clubhouse kids maybe I gotta maybe I gotta maybe I can ask him if I'm you know do, do I wear my bath
1: <laughs>
2: I, I swear I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, J. Roll, if you're listening, I love you. Uh, we're we're gonna get back on the golf course soon, okay? I don't the, the don't take a... pro but literally, I I I mean I had heard of Jimmy obviously, but I I just I didn't know he was like that short. I, I thought you know I just thought he was a little bigger. It's, <laughs> so and thank god Greg, it's, it's the thank story of my god. life okay
0: short people that's the problem
2: <laughs> i'm sorry hey short sure, sure people out there don't take no offense i love you all hey, listen you guys repeat y'all are people too okay don't get me wrong but no it was listen it was um it was it was hilarious and 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 then you know but but then the camaraderie like immediately you know you walk into a building or you walk into a a company that has a you know, a certain culture, right? Like, like, like ESPN, um, you, you that, that's, that starts from the top down, right. And that, and that culture is is set and it kind of permeates through, you know, every, every building, every hallway, you know, every, every meeting room and, and it, and it, and it permeates into the people that, that work there. And, and, and when I walked into that clubhouse in Clearwater the first time in spring training 2007, you could just, I could just feel it. It was palpable. You know, there was just a there was just a sense in the air that ooh, there's something there's something special here. I have no I have no idea what it is. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's just because it's Florida now, and I'm used to having spring training in Arizona in Peoria. I don't know. But I, I but I, I swear, it, you just I walked in, and I know other guys felt the same way. There was just something special about it. You couldn't put your finger on it yet, but as the years went on, seven, eight, nine, and ten, you know that's. That's that's what I sensed in 2007, coming from the American League over over to Philly.
1: What was it like to to play in front of of these fans? I think during the entire time you were here, every game was sold out.
2: Every every game, you know, they're the they're the best fans. They're the best fans in in baseball. Um, uh, it, the, it, that I played in front of. And that I, and I, listen, I played in front of. I played in every major league stadium in front of every fan. Um, uh, listen, nothing compares to now. Right, like you just pointed out, right? Every 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 game was sold out, day, night, doubleheader. Didn't matter. Every every game was was packed to the gills, and the energy that that we that we got from from the fans in those years. I'm sorry, I've I've never. You know, they talk about the you know the tenth man, the eleventh man, all this stuff. I, like I, I've never sensed or had that sort of a feeling anywhere else at any other stadium that I played or for any other team that I played for. Um, It's just, it was, it was incredible. Uh, I mean, they, they literally, we, we thrived off them and, and when we were down or maybe, you know, maybe not firing on all cylinders, they picked us up and, and, and vice versa, right? Like, listen, if, 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 if if, if the fans are kind of just, you know, not super engaged somehow, some way, either Worth or Burl or myself or or or, or Shane or, or Chase would do something, and all of a sudden, boom! When that stadium, when those fans light up, man, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like it. And and you look at our opponents, and I remember listening to our opponents talk about, it, especially when we got into the postseason, the the effect that our fans, that the Philly fans have on them. I mean, even they would say it like, geez, this is like this is this is a tough place to play. And, and rightfully I remember that so, game against that the Mafia
0: in the series when he got rattled there uh, in the playoffs. But I mean, what was the 2008 season and World Series run like? We can tell you as fans how special it was for us. But as a guy who had chased that dream for so long. Oh, you finally get this team that's that seems like it has the ability to get there. They just have to put the pieces together. Then you guys put the pieces together, and then you've got what happened in the World Series. Keep talking a little bit about that season.
2: Yeah, you know, 2008 was a culmination of 2007, and also too, you know, what Ed Wade and, and Ruben Amaro had had started putting together back in 2005 and six as well. That you know, don't don't get me wrong. It's not like it's not like 2008 just happened overnight. In one fell swoop, you know, during, during one offseason, right, and completely um, revamping the entire roster. No, it was, it's a byproduct of, uh, of a lot of different people's dedication and, and hard work and putting that roster together. Um, you know, I think back to 2008 and I think back, I, I, I first start the 2007 season, you know, when, when you know, Chase. Um, Chase had his hand broken, John Lannon, you know, and then now Chase has to come back from that. Jimmy, Jimmy wins the, the MVP in that, in that winter, right? Uh, the NL MVP, I mean, just a monster season, absolute monster season. And, and so, you know, you, you, you see these, you see these pieces um, all sort of kind of becoming together um, and also a lot of question marks too. Right. Um, but, but we just, we just, I think the and I think the success at the end of 2007, making that run and getting into the playoffs on on the very last day, I think that I think that really proved to ourselves and to each other that we really that we could do that and we do belong, right, and that we can we can succeed and we can get to the postseason to that next step, right. So that all that did was just breed so much more confidence and trust in each other and ourselves. And 2008 was just I mean, I mean, look at the seasons that, that everybody had. Um, we were just, it was, you know, you talk about those magical fairy tale years where everything seems to go right. Not much seems to go wrong. Yes. You're, you, you know, you got your trials and tribulations. You're always going to go through a couple lulls, right? But it's how, how long are those, are those lulls and how, you know, and how quickly can you come out of them? We were just, we were so resilient. Um, there was an air inside that clubhouse, um, that every day that we came to the park didn't matter wh- who we were playing against, what time of day it was, what time of night it was, rain delays, wh- whatever it may be, double headers. It didn't matter. We we came yeah. into that clubhouse and into that stadium and into the opposing stadiums every day, expecting to win, expecting to win. Now it didn't, you know, were we going to win every game? No, but we had that, we just had sort of that, that quiet confidence in each other. And, you know, once you get on a roll like that, which we did in 2008, it's almost unstoppable. I mean, it really is. You know, you just get all this inertia and this momentum moving forward. And we just, we just continue to just, to just, you know, put our foot further and further on the pedal and push ourselves just that much further and challenge each other that much further to get better and to continue. And, and we never, we were never satisfied too. That's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people understand with it. You know, if they're, Reporters, you know, you guys are like, maybe, right? Maybe because if you were around us, you were in the clubhouse, maybe getting that vibe and talking to us, you know, pre or post game, maybe you got that vibe, but we were never satisfied and that, you know, never be complacent, never be satisfied. And, uh, and we just, we just, we all, we, we just wanted to win, you know, and we were willing to do whatever it took, you know, to <laughs> just get after it.
1: There's no question that you guys were single-minded in in your pursuit, especially after the 2007 run. Um, But what strikes me about that team and and people we've talked to, we had Jamie on a couple weeks ago, is how much you guys seem to like each other. How how much you seem to feed off of each other both the competitiveness and, and even kind of the hijinks, like hanging out together, doing things in the locker room. Um, what was it like for you guys and and how much did it mean having that camaraderie? And and do you guys still keep in touch with each other?
2: Well, you know what, I I mean, I'm literally getting goosebumps just, you know, listening to you say that because, um, it's, it's the wholehearted truth. We've just had, you know, we've had two reunions these last past two years, right. For the 2008 and the 2009 season. Um, and where we all got back together and it's this, this big weekend, um, you know, at, at, at Citizens Bank and in front of our incredible fans and, you know, back to relive and, and hearken back to, you know, the successes that we had as individually, as a team, as a fan base, and, 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 and the city as well, right, the, the successes that, that we all had together. Um, it, it's, it, we get back together like that after being 10, 11 years removed, and it's, it's like we never skipped a beat. It, you know, it, it's like, it's like your, you know, your, your, your crazy cousin uh, that, you know, you, you haven't seen in, in seven, eight, nine years, right. Who lives across the country um, that you grew up with. Um, and you have all these incredible memories, right. And and, 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 fond memories and you may not have been around them for the better part of a decade, but then you come back and it's, it's, as, it's as if that you've never left. and, and, and that's, you know, that's the other special thing about this, this team, the 2008 and 2009 team, or really the, those four, four years, seven, eight, nine, and 10 was, you know, we were, we were family. We, you know, we weren't just showing up to, to do a job. I mean, yeah, of course we had to, it's our job to do that. Right. Um, but, but we showed up as, as comrades, as brothers in arms. Right. And, and, and we, you know, we cared about the other guy, you know, who who may be struggling a little bit, right? Who isn't firing on all cylinders, and we're, we're, we would we would come and pat him on the back, and, and I trust me, I got pat on the back a couple times on the butt, saying, "Hey, Dobber, don't worry about it. We'll pick you up. We got you," and and vice versa. Um, the it's a it's a, it's a special group, and I think, you know, in talking with John Middleton over the past couple of years, um, listen, no one, no one is more competitive, um, and is more driven to win than than uh than mr middleton and we we've we've talked he and i have spoken about what was so special about those teams and and that that was the the unquantifiable is how we related to each other and and you know the camaraderie within the clubhouse Um, and and you know so so when you put together putting together teams right it's it's 25 different personalities and they don't always have to mesh. They, they got to be able to challenge one another. They, they have to be able to respect one another. We got to be able to work together to push each other to push themselves. Um, that's and that's you know, listen, that's what a family does, right? I mean, you expect a lot out of yourself, but you also expect just as much, if not more, out of out of those around you. And you hold mm-hmm. them, you hold them accountable, and you hold them to a higher standard. That's exactly what we did. And and uh, you know, having played on. I didn't play on a ton of other teams, right? Three other teams. Um, it, 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 that, that's what that team had. That's what we had inside that clubhouse that I, I never encountered. I never experienced anywhere else. And, and still to this day, we, we keep in touch, you know, J, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy's moved out here now to Southern California. He's about 20, 30 minutes away. We play golf often. Um, Burl, uh, you know, keep in touch with Burl, Jenkins chase. Um, Chase is a little more elusive. He's, he's a little more secretive, okay? He's, he's, he's kind of, you know, he stays, stays under the radar. Um, kind of hard to get a hold of, but still, love you, Chase. Um, it, we all, you know, Vic, uh, Worth, you know, Chooch is down in Panama, hopefully on, on his ranch. He's been a little hard to get a hold of. But, no, listen, you know, Jamie Moyer and I, still, still we all still talk. Durbin, all these guys. And it's been incredible to just be back around them the last two years at those reunions. It's just, it reminds you of, and it reminds me at least, of how truly special that group was.
1: Before we let you go, I do have to ask you a question. Was Shane as big a practical joker in the locker room as we heard? (laughs)
2: Uh, He's definitely as loud as you probably heard. I mean, for for such a short guy, that guy has. I mean, his voice like booms. It's like a, there's a sonic boom. It's like a megaphone is constantly attached to his mouth. Um, you know, she, Shane Shane was Shane was good. She, he was he was okay. I mean, Jenks. Let's let's not all sleep on, on my boy Jeff Jenkins. Jeff Jenkins was uh, he was pretty good. Um, one of the best. I got to say, was Ryan Madsen. Mad Dog, um, you know, <laughs> Mad Dog and I, we, we grew up at rival high schools uh, here in Southern California. Um, so I've known Mad Dog for quite some time. Mad Dog was sneaky, funny, and, and uh, we, had, we, had, we had quite a few. Um, so I, I, I don't, I'd like to give it to Shane right off the bat, um, but I, I think he's there's some serious competition when it comes to that, within that clubhouse, I got to say. And that's just another thing that just made it so special.
1: Well, Greg, we're so thankful that you joined us and uh, sharing your memories of, of of baseball, especially with everything that's going on. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again someday.
2: No, yeah, I'd love to. And I, if I can, I'd love to give a, a quick shout out to uh, my boy out there. he's uh he's an anchor, Jason Martinez, um, primetime on on fox twenty nine in Philly. So he and I went to high school together and he called he called me when he he was leaving San Diego and he got the job out there. And he was like, "Dauber, dauber." So, what, what, what can you tell me about Fully? And it, it almost sounded like he was kind of like nervous a little bit, like, "Hey, so <laughs> how, how, how is it out there? Re- like, really?" And I was like, "I go, Jay, you're gonna love it. You're going to God's country. It's incredible." I go, "Embrace it, embrace it. Be yourself. Okay. Show up every day. Give, give them all you got, and you're gonna get it back in spades from." from philadelphians i said so don't so don't even he's like oh great and you know what he loves it out there so i was just talking to the other day so i just want to give him a quick shout out i'm happy for him and and listen my my heart goes out to the entire city as well so y'all you know stay safe stay healthy we'll get we'll get through this um and, and we'll be back and we'll be you know we'll be talking and watching the phillies uh on the field here soon enough
0: we look forward to connecting with you when you're back around here. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of time and having some fun stories with us. You have a great one.
2: Uh, I appreciate it, guys. You too. Take care. Thank you. Take
0: care. Jeff, every time we talk to athletes, I'm I'm more impressed by each one, by how they handle things, by the things they overcome. I mean, look, I, I kind of... Felt him, you joke about going to Vancouver. I literally, out of college, picked my life up and went to Iowa. So, like, I get just kind of picking up and going someplace, but Anchorage is a bit further than that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not aware of any G League team in Anchorage, but we can ask Keith Pompey because I think we have Keith on the line now. Yeah, we're going to go right to basketball right now. Keith Pompey, you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. All right, so, Keith, we
0: got a question for you. But but even before that, even before that, though, I wanted to give you both a compliment, Jeff. I wanted to compliment you and Keith for your Locked On Sixers podcast. We put it out on our accounts. You guys are getting some good basketball talk. So before you got into the question, I wanted to give you both a shout-out. I thought it was good.
1: Well, I think yeah. the shout-out should go to Keith. I mean, Keith, nah, Keith has has, has, a, a has a great a good podcast good. and an even better uh, writing style in, on philly, uh, dot com. Keith, was that a good intro? <laughs>
3: great one can you say it again so i can tape
0: it <laughs> don't, don't worry we'll send you the audio <laughs> cut use it however you'd like now jeff you could go back to the question let's go right ahead i just wanted to right. and puff you guys up a little bit
1: all right so keith before before you were on we had greg dobbs from the uh, 2008 world champions uh on and we were talking about his time in anchorage as a minor league baseball player so you you travel around a lot covering basketball what mm-hmm. what's the uh the most unique place you've been in your travels
3: Place that I've been in yep. my travels, uh, unique in a good way or bad way.
1: Take <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll your
3: pick. One. Both. <laughs> I'll
1: take both. Based on uh, the way you said it.
3: <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, Memphis is a little unique. You've been to Memphis before, right? I have. Yeah, <laughs> Memphis is
1: great definitely. barbecue.
3: Yeah, great barbecue. But it's it mm. is it's, it's funny, I remember the first time I was in Memphis and you know I was excited because you know the Sixers like got there from Toronto and the plane lands late and I'm like, Oh I'm getting ready to go on Bill Street. So I'm like extremely excited and then I realized it's like Bill Block. Like it was like literally two blocks. Like we're yeah. it <laughs> and I that's was just it. like that's, whoa,
0: That's the city <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> it wasn't what you were hoping for. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong. It's like the two blocks were nice, and it's it's funny because I was laughing because you know when you go to Memphis, you see like a Memphis postcard, and you see all these different like you know storefronts. Well, all of them are like next door to each other. So that that was the one thing that really stood out. I feel you bad just get
0: it all me. out of the way at one time. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to walk a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah, you don't have to walk around I mean, it's, you know, but it's, it is what it is
0: <laughs> Alright, so I heard you and Jeff talking about watching The Last Dance We uh, obviously had Mike Tolan on last week executive producer I'm loving what I'm seeing Apparently the audience is too It overtook the The Tiger King as the most in-demand documentary in the world uh, Keith, for our audience What are your thoughts on what we're seeing here Parts 1 through 4 so far and uh, What you're thinking about everything
3: you know, I think it's great TV. And now, I'll be honest with you, the, the first two parts to me were better because I guess, you know, it, I don't know if it was one of those things where, you know, I was like, man, I just can't wait to see it, and I was so excited. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, parts three and four were still good, but, you know, I guess when they when they did more about Michael Jordan's life You know, going back to when he was, you know, a kid growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina, and him at UNC and stuff like that, breaking into the league, you know, it was really intriguing to me. And, you know, I I felt like, you know, Scotty, not Scotty Pippen, but I, I felt like Dennis Rodman, they didn't go as deep into his story as I would have liked, you know, seeing his documentary. But at the same time, it's great stuff. They they said some great stuff about the Detroit Pistons and the rivalry, so I really you know got into that, and that's great you know water cooler talk so to speak.
0: Jeff, I know you're enjoying watching it. What what do you guys think in terms of? I've seen a little critique this week about Michael Jordan having final say on it. Now, when we talked to Mike Tolan, he he didn't really. He said Michael didn't really influence that much. Are you guys concerned at all with how the narratives being told? It, it seems sort of true to story, but we don't really know the story. So I did see a little bit of that this week, which was the first time I really saw any of that pushback.
1: I was worried at first. I mean, I've talked about it before. I, I am having final say, or however they want to they want to phrase it. Is a concerning thing to me. A documentary is supposed to be something where where you take a look back. It's a lot like when Keith writes those articles. Keith doesn't sit there and say to the the the, the person that he's profiling, by the way, before I hit this out to the publisher or, or the editor, I'm gonna I'm gonna get approval for it. You want you want some sort of objectivity to it. So it it does concern me about the way that it might be portrayed. But I can't tell. Like I don't know what what he may have said, no, I'm not doing. So far, he seems like he's been pretty honest about it. I did find it kind of odd that, and I, Keith, I don't know if you noticed this, there always seems to be a drink next to Michael while he's talking.
3: And his eyes are red. <laughs>
1: it, yeah, well, that... Uh, that see, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, so, but, it's, but it's not always. I mean, apparently they interviewed him for nine hours, and it was, three. I think, three hours a session. So I, I kind of want to go back and, and see whether or not it's only when he's wearing certain things so to find out when it when it was but he he does he certainly is loosened up compared to probably what you saw you know back in the day what what did you notice about that
3: i mean i noticed that and it's funny like you know we did the podcast and we were talking about the detroit pistons and it just seems like everyone in detroit now is coming to the, the pistons defense in regards to you know, um, Jordan having an executive decision. And the one thing that really struck me is that, you know, apparently, um, you know, all, there's a lot of excuses coming out with the Pistons. And one was that, you know, Jordan, the day before the game, the deciding game four, you know, Jordan was very critical of the Pistons, very, in their eyes, disrespectful. And, they were, and he was also very disrespectful to the city. Right on what he said to the uh, Chicago newspapers, and it was it was one of those things to where um, when the Pistons walked out, you know they were being cheered a lot by the fans because the fans looked at it as if you know the Pistons were taken up for them and taken up for the city. So you know I would have loved to like to see what you know Jordan said, and it was one of those things where you know I was trying to research it and find it but all you kept hearing was people talking about it but they never said exactly what he said so you know that's the one thing that I would really you know would like to see and again you know with the executive thing you know I would really like to think what what Scotty I mean what uh Dennis Rodman actually thought about <laughs> when Jordan came knocking on his door coming to get him <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and drags him to practice that day. So the, the, those are the type of things that I wish I would have, you know, known more of. But again, it just seems like when you do things like that, you're not going to present Michael in a negative light, you know. And uh, you know, I, I, it is a bad thing, but it's something that ESPN agreed to do. I would have never done it. But they agreed to do it, and that's the reason why we're getting to look at this <laughs> this uh, documentary now.
1: What did you What do you think about the fact that what they didn't seem to cover? What you and I talked a little bit about on your podcast, but we also you and I also talked about off off of it too, which was this whole idea of Isaiah Thomas not being on the dream team, and and it seems like we've now spent since Sunday, so we're what, five days after this. There seems to be a lot of play on a lot of different radio and TV and in print about that dream team and how it came together. Because Isaiah Thomas was not on that dream team. And if you look at that roster, there's no way, by all accounts, that he should have been left off and Christian Leitner should have been on. It seemed like he was never considered for that roster. Yeah. So stories that are out but I thought it was interesting that it's not really covered in this doc at least not yet and I'm assuming they're not going back to the Pist- pistons it seems like they they just kind of glossed over a major story point especially since Rod Thorn's now coming out and saying no we never even we never even talked to about it which unless I they do
0: more believe- unless they do more on the olympic team in yeah, a future I don't
3: believe that I, you know see here's the thing because you know that story Has changed like three different times like every every day every day. There's something different and this is you know, like Michael Jordan is, is Arguably one of the hardest guys to interview but Stephen a you know, he I guess Stephen a has a relationship with him but Stephen a interviewed him and Isaiah and it was one of those You know when he was talking well, this is what Isaiah said, and this is what Jordan said now The thing is to me um you know, when you have uh, what is this, when you have um, Scottie Pippen basically saying, we don't want Isaiah on the team, to me it looks like you're taking up for your teammate, right? Now, they're also saying now that uh, it was one of those things where Magic Johnson really didn't want him on the team because Magic, there was a book out there and Magic felt like Isaiah said some things about him. So, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of deflection, like they're naming all these other people who didn't really want Michael on there. Now, who knows? You know, who knows what was said? But it just seems like, now, I do remember back in the day when all this happened that some people said that, you know, Magic Johnson, you know, had a voice at the time. And if he really wanted um, um, Isaiah on the team, you know, Magic could have made it happen. And they were saying that Magic and Bird, you know, were two of the guys who, you know, didn't stand up for him. So, you know, is, is Michael Jordan getting most of the blame? Perhaps. But there was a time when, you know, I, at that particular time, Isaiah and Magic's their relationship was a little strained. So who knows? But the thing that gets me is, you know, as each day goes by, the story changes a little bit. You know and, and let's face it, Isaiah and, and Jordan, uh, the Pistons and the Bulls, they were like nemesis at the time. and you know in order for people to want Jordan, they had to do what they had to do.
1: All right, so let's fast forward a couple decades now. According to everything we're reading now and everything we're seeing is the NBA is trying to consider something. They seem to yeah. be forming committees. They seem to be doing all sorts, talking to all sorts of different people. They seem to be considering all these different scenarios. What is the latest that you're hearing as to how this is going to happen, if it's going to happen? And what are your
3: thoughts on it? You know what, man? It depends on who you talk to. And it depends on when, when you read it. <laughs> like, because, and, 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 and that's no, that's no, um, it's like, to be honest with you, no one knows what's going to happen. I mean, if we want to really want to be real. I think there's a lot of different scenarios being floated around right now. And, you know, and it, it's, it's one of those things. You and I talked about it before. You know, if you do it, you're going to have to, you know, possibly you're going to have to do it at, you know, a bubble-type place where you get all these guys quarantined and, and what have you you know, now you're hearing that, you know, most of the talk is about going to Las Vegas. And always, everyone always talked about what they were going to be, you know, X amount of different locations that could be sites. You know, Orlando was one, Vegas was another, Atlantic City came in, you know, Louisville, Hawaii, and, and possibly the Bahamas. And then now, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about Walt Disney, Orlando again and you know according to the sources I spoke to they said when they said Orlando it always was going to be Disney and in Orlando the people there were writing about that weeks ago so you know what I'm just saying is, 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 is a lot of stuff that just keep getting recirculated and I think the league has a lot of options as they should have at this particular time but right now they're not set to make a decision, and but it seems like it will probably be, um, you know, if they do it without fans, which we assume, it will probably be Orlando, and it will probably or it will probably be Las Vegas. And if you think about it, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, why go to Orlando? Well, their partner is ESPN. You know, which is owned by Disney, so games are going to be, um, games are going to be in, you know, uh, excuse me, games are going to be on ESPN and they're going to be on on ABC. Well, if they own Walt Disney, and if they could basically turn that into like a city of just NBA people and then they you know you 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 probably you know they won't people won't come on people won't go off like you know what i mean like basically once you get into walt disney um, world you're going to stay there until your team leaves and then they'll have all the amenities that you need there whereas if you're going to be in vegas you know let's face it that's sin city and guys are going to want to leave the casino and do whatever they want to do and then come back and then they'll test them that next day. And then next thing they're like, Oh, he can't play. He has the virus. So I think from a safety standpoint, you know, Disney could be the best place for him.
0: Keith, if you end up going as a reporter, you got to go on your lockdown podcast and go, I'm going to Disney world. I want some of that. So, I do want to know closer to home with the Sixers. Uh, some front office changes this week. Mark Eversley leaving to go to sh- the Chicago Bulls. People may not be as familiar with him under study of Brian Colangelo, but he was real involved in the scouting and, you know, some of the good he was, he pushed for Matisse Divel, Some of the not so good pushed for Markel Fultz. What is the impact of him leaving going to be on this organization and who's going to fill the role that he had?
3: You know, I think, you know, I think that the Sixers are going to miss some more than they, than they think because when you look at mark eversley um you know elton brand is young he's a he's a young general manager you know he's a basketball guy you know having played the game um but when you look at mark eversley like basically being in this business as a front office executive for what 14 years i mean that's a lot of relationships that he built from you know behind the scenes now again you know he he uh You know, he was Brian Colangelo's right-hand man. He learned a lot from him. But also, you know, he had great relationships, and he still does, with a lot of um, guys around the league from back in his days of being a Nike executive. So I think when you look at the way that this front office staff is made up, you know, they have a lot of guys who are involved in analytics and, and with numbers, of course, and stuff like that as far as, like, having, losing a guy like Mark Eversley who has these relationships, you know, it, it, it's going to hurt. Um, now, they do have Elton, but I think that, again, you know, Elton I mean, Eversley could, it was a guy that Elton could, you know, could lean on in regards to building relationships. Now, something else, you know, he's catch he, he does catch a lot of flack for Markell folks, right? And it is always one of those things that, you know, yeah, you're going to blame it, like, twenty. you know, hindsight is 2020 20. you're going to blame it a couple of years later. But I remember, myself included, you know, when they had the third pick and even before they had the third pick, before they had the lottery, you know, I was writing, they need to go out and get Markel Folks. You know, Markel Folks is going to be um, great for the Sixers. You know, he could fit with Ben Simmons. You know, he can do this, he could play on the ball, he could play off the ball. And the Sixers, you know, threw in all the chips, and they went out and got him. And then all of a sudden, he struggled. Now, it's easy to blame someone after the fact, but we all thought Markell Folks was going to be a great fit. Well, I shouldn't say we all. The majority of people thought that Markell Folks was going to be a great fit. And then when you look at some of the other guys that he did get, you know, he made some great moves in the in the past, but it just seems like you know this one was a bad gamble, and it's it's going to be on his resume. But you know, I think that you know Eversley is a, is a great is a great guy.
1: All right, so I got a question for you. If we're all starting yeah. supposedly on May eighth, that's a week from now, have, are the Sixers ready to come back?
3: But everyone's not starting on May eighth. You know, and and nah, everyone's not everyone's not starting on May eighth. And if right. you look but, at but some people uh, are, right? yeah. But that's Supp- the biggest joke, That's a, do you see all the things they have to go through? All the I mean, all the hoops. Like first of all, there's only going to be you're only going to be allowed to have four players in the building at one time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can't work out with a coach. They can't work out with an assistant coach. Now you can have somebody you know, like a a player development guy or a ball boy, so to speak, shagging balls for him. You know, so it, it's really like as much as they say it, everyone's coming back. I, I don't think that a lot of teams want to deal with it. Now, you may have some that just say, let's just get the guy in there. Like, and also something else is like, let's just say if you go there, right, a player, let's say um, Ben Simmons goes there. Well, he has to don a mask at all times until he gets on the court, and then soon when he gets off the court, so when he like gets off the court, he has to put the mask back on. So, you know, it, it's a lot of things that they're doing now. I think they're doing this this way so certain teams don't get an unfair advantage. Like you can't work out with coaches if the Sixers aren't ready, which they're not ready to go back, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it, it just seems like it's so much that has to happen in order for guys to, um, you know, to to be out there working. Like you do better off like buying a court in the back, buying a court and putting it in your backyard than than you would go to this practice facility right now.
0: And look, I mean, they're they're kind of talking on both sides of their mouth because at the same time, they're talking about reopening facilities on May 8th, potentially in some places. Uh, report out now that they've indefinitely postponed the draft lottery and the draft combine in May. So it, it, they're trying to find a balance here, but uh, Keith, I don't know about you, it doesn't seem like they're successful in finding it so far.
3: Nah, they can't. I mean, here's the thing you can't do anything, really. I mean, it, it, it's great to come out and say it, but when you look at it, y'all, if, if they, they don't even know if they're going to continue the season, right? And how are they possibly going to have the draft lottery? How are they possibly going to have the draft? You know, especially if you think that you're going to bring guys back. Now, let's just say, like, they don't even, when Adam Silver spoke to the media a couple weeks ago, you know, it was he was asked, is it going to be one of those things where you're going to have, um, you know, you, you're just going to go to the playoffs? And he says, no, you know, we, we don't know yet. So if if you if you don't know if you're going to continue a regular season, you know all these things that are coming out is kind of like he basically said it was going to happen. Like everything is going to get postponed. To whereas like this is what I think. I think like if they they're gonna they're I think that they're probably going to come back in July. That's that's what my opinion is. They may have a couple tune-up games and then they'll go straight into the playoffs, right? And then once they're done with uh, the quote-unquote quarantined uh, postseason, that's when we're going to have a draft. That's when we're going to have, like, free agency. And then next thing you know, a couple months later, we're going to have a a season for next year. So I think for, like, the next year and a half, it's going to be basketball overload for people once it gets started. But until they decide what they're going to do, You know, there's no way I think that they can have a draft, that they can have a lottery, because you don't even have the team seated, you know, where you expect them to be seated at. You have to make that decision
1: first. Yeah, but Keith, we only have a couple minutes left, but here's my concern is the student-athletes, the the college kids. So all these kids that have now declared early, are they going to give them a chance to go back? Because if they don't have the draft until August— those kids have to be back in school, assuming everything's back to somewhat normal. What are you yeah, going to do with all these kids? There's all these kids that declared early.
3: I don't mean to be ill or, or be like uh, whatever, but it's kind of like who's who's giving these kids advice? You know what I mean? Like, right. It's it's one of those situations where you know this might be the wrong year for you to come out. Like, who's giving you advice? Like, if if, if you if the league is telling you, and I'm pretty sure people, like, are I mean, like, the agents, yeah, the agents want them to come up. Pretty sure people are saying, hey, they don't know what they want to do. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll still come out. Nah, dude, like, not, this isn't the right year for that. And I get what you're saying, but I'm pretty sure it's not a secret that they don't know what they're doing. And I shouldn't say they don't know what they're doing, that they haven't made their mind up yet. They're waiting on the science.
0: Keith, we can't thank you for always giving us the time. Encourage everybody to follow Keith on Twitter at Pompeii on Sixers. Read his stories in the Inquirer and subscribe to his podcast, Locked on Sixers. Uh, Thanks so much for always hopping on and joining us. And uh, take care of yourself, man. And thanks for having me, fellas. Bye. Jeff. We talk so much, we barely have any time to say anything to each other.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's not a, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Look, we had two uh, great guests. I mean, th- th- they, that's 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 what's great about this. It's great to have some some people on to talk about uh, you know the past, and then have some people on to talk about what's going on now. And, uh, yeah. You know, until, until we get to you know games and man, do I want games badly? Any games, anywhere, any sport. Well, except NASCAR's, for except for bullfighting bull or bull, NASCAR is ready to race. They're
0: going to start racing May 17th. So you can go and do
1: that. It, it looks like people
0: are going to try and figure out how to open this up, but it's going to be a, a slow process for sure. Uh, any final thoughts, Jeff? We got about 30 seconds before we got to go.
1: Just everybody stay safe out there and hopefully we'll be back in ballpark soon. We
0: definitely want to see that. Jeff, we'll talk Eagles draft next
1: week. We'll talk everything else that's going
0: on. Plenty to talk about in the sports world, even though there aren't games. We look forward to bringing it to you. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.